Hi guys, welcome to a very odd but hopefully welcome episode of Ecolution. Like you, we're all staying safe and staying at home. I hope you are anyway. Thankfully, I remembered to take Mipsy, my emotional support toy, home from school on the day before the lockdown. Phew! So I can take some comfort in that. What? There's nothing creepy about a 16-year-old boy having a toy called Mipsy. Where was I? We had been planning the new season of Ecolution just before this all began. It'll happen in some form or other as we wait to see how things develop in the coming weeks. Instead of an RTE studio, I'm speaking to you from my room and recording into a phone. We're all adapting to a new normal. We're making an episode dedicated to the environmental impact of COVID-19, which will follow this one. But we couldn't let Earth Day go by without checking in. Earth Day is celebrated on the 22nd of April every year, and this year marks its 50th anniversary. In 1970, 20 million Americans took to the streets to protest environmental ignorance and demand a new way forward for our planet. It is seen as the beginning of the modern green movement, one that us kids are continuing in every way we can. This year's theme, unsurprisingly, climate action. There is a fear that the pandemic, whilst giving the earth a chance to breathe, has taken people's attention away from just how real the fight for a cleaner future still is. This Earth Day gives us an unusually calm opportunity to reflect on where we, as a planet, are going. And one way that this might be possible is to zoom out. Way out. Like, into space. Imagine looking back down at the planet for a moment. Astronauts describe it as the big blue marble. The place where all human and animal life coexists. Maybe it would help us to see this a bit better if we spoke to some people who have a bird's eye view. Hi guys, uh, my name is Akiko. Uh, I'm coming from Japan and I'm working for Japanese Space Agency, so-called Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency, JAXA. Uh, my name is Yusuke. I'm also working for JAXA uh, as an engineer of our domestic rocket. Uh, we use a uh, uh, liquid hydrogen and oxygen. It makes uh, just a water, H2O. So uh, it's a very mm, eco-friendly uh, engine system. Jackson is a Japanese space agency like NASA in the United States that we are uh, covering all activities of the space from rocket ships, satellites, and the International Space Station, including the astronaut training. We have already launched almost 100 satellites, including the communication satellites, as environment observation sat- observing satellites, as well as broadcasting satellites. I would like to explain to you, especially about us observation satellites. We can see the conditions of the Earth, how the Earth is healthy or not. We can see the Amazon area is like and the sea area is like and the coastal li- coastal line is like and when uh, some disaster happens or volcanoes erupted we, we can see what what it is due to the global warming many scientists say that decreasing of the forest is damaging the earth's condition it is important to know how much the damage in the amazon is we cannot see it from the ground because in the Amazon there are very spacious areas. But uh, from the space, we can have a 
bird's eye view. So it's very important to know how to save the Amazon areas. There are a lot of natural、uh, fires in Amazon and the Russian forest, in the Australian forest. It's a very big issue for the Earth's environment. There are several reasons for firing. One of them is natural firing. Another thing is、uh, human things for earning money, but we need to stop firings.、Mm. But the detecting the origin of the firing is important too. Us observing satellites orbit, orbiting the Earth once in 90 minutes, very quick. It can monitor the situation of the firing many times a day. So then we can acquire the data from satellites using the communication satellites, and then the,、uh, the scientists on the ground can analyze how it happens. From the website of JAXA,、mm -hmm. www.jaxa.jp, you can reach to the data of the satellites. So, low Earth orbit is,、uh, for example, International Space Station is rounding the,、oh, above 400 kilometers <laughs> above the Earth. <laughs> so, it's a low Earth orbit. And also, so Earth observation satellites,、uh, so around several, several hundred kilometers altitude. We, we have another satellite on the geostationary orbit, 33,000 kilometer altitude. <laughs> so, it's a different、uh, purpose of the satellite. For example, the weather forecasting satellite, we named the Japanese one is Himawari. It's also stay at the same point <laughs> above our equator. So, it is very useful to observe the same wide. Area of the Earth. Over 100 kilometers, we call it a space, a space area. Atmosphere is、uh, so very low density, so we call it space. Ibuki is、um, CO2, a carbon dioxide detecting satellites. Ibuki means breathing in Japanese. You can need the air, the fresh air to breathe, but now the air of Earth is now. Polluted or increasing the CO2 due to the global warming. So, we need to know how much the Earth is damaged, how much、uh, CO2 is increasing to save our Earth. The Ibuki is now watching it. The ratio of the CO2 now increasing. Ibuki is now have a 10 years life from the launch. It is、uh, observing data increasing. However, in the level of the global warming, we need to continue acquiring the data. More than that, the satellite has a almost five years' life only. So now, the many countries they are cooperating with each other. Ibuki has now have a second and a third, third satellite. Ibuki one, two, three. Data from each satellite are now put together in the global area. The Earth. Is the big globe, of course, and we cannot see any boundary from the space. So, this, is, this planet is for the human beings, not for one single country.、Mm. So, we need to cooperate each other. If the, we can,、uh, any country, put the budget into the one mission, 
to see the earth, it will be very beneficial for the human beings. Uh, this is an international co cooperation thing. Currently, in international space station partners are uh, joined, come together, and so we are now planning the, the send of man uh, <laughs> to the moon, moon surface again. And beyond the moon, uh, some plans to go to the Mars. Currently, so we are just... Uh, Lower orbit international space station, but we have another plan you know, on the another space station on the near near moon moon orbit. We call it a gateway. Currently, in future, we have to think about uh, some space colony or moon base or Mars base is also <laughs> possible. Mm. Maybe to make a colony is not one idea for human beings, of course. But I think there are the two missions for space activities. One of them is a from, uh, mission from the Earth, like an exploration, use case head, uh, into the deep space. And another thing is the mission to the Earth. Uh, to know our outside is to know our planet. Many astronauts said our planet Earth is very beautiful, most beautiful planet of the universe. And there is no such blue planet in the sky, so they say that we need to keep it sustainable. Then the space activities can help them to know our space and Earth. So I'd like to go to space uh, as a tourist, <laughs> one of the, uh, so just for fun. I hope everyone should love us and to keep it sustainable. Every country has some uh, role to uh, keep our world. <laughs> Could you imagine actually living for a time on the International Space Station? I think I'd be okay. I'd bring my home comforts. Our thanks to Akiko and Yusuke from JAXA. It's quite possible for us to get caught up in our own lives now more than ever. I know that Ecolution focuses mainly on what's going on here in Ireland, but we thought for Earth Day, it might be more interesting to have a different perspective. How does a kid on the other side of the world live their lives? How do they see climate change? And I mean, the very opposite side, New Zealand. My name is Arlo, I'm nine, nearly ten, and I live in New Zealand. Here in Dunedin, we're at the very bottom of the South Island, because there's the South Island, the North Island, and Stewart Island. We're right in the middle of autumn. What I know and how I feel about climate change is that it's bad, because it's um, making wildfires, it's causing floods and fires. Also, it's decreasing the chance of snow and rain, which... Um, can cause droughts. One other thing I definitely know about climate change is that it ain't good. When I'm in New Zealand and I think about climate change, usually I'm thinking because New Zealand has a fair amount of mountains and um, hills and uh, both of the houses I live at are on hills, I'm thinking now, when those glaciers melt and those water levels rise, we're going to be a lot safer than quite a few other countries from the rising sea levels. And then, when it does manage to start shrink New Zealand, 
it'll take longer for it to get to us because we live at the top of the hill. Also, it's killing native birds and animals like kiwi and I think kakapo. A kiwi is a small brown flightless bird that's kind of made up of um, two circles and then its beak and feet. Actually, four if you count the eyes. The kakapo is about the size of a parrot. It is green and looks like a parrot with its little feathers sticking out at the bottom. They are endangered because two main problems, the rodents and the wildfires. There are so many rodents brought here, like possums, stoats. When Maori arrived in New Zealand, settled there, they didn't bring anything else that wasn't already in New Zealand. They just came along in their canoes and walkers, I mean, and decided it would be a nice place to settle down. But when the next people came along, I think it might have been British. The farmers wanted to bring some stuff from Britain, so... On the next boat, there were stoats, um, there were rats, and they brought those and a few other uh, um, species over to New Zealand. But they rapidly bred. They, especially stoats, like to hunt the eggs of like kiwi and other birds. Also, they hunt the birds themselves. So. These pests, kind of like a cat, like to a property or a cat would be a monster, and to these birds, their pests could be monsters. At school, the teachers are always encouraging us kids, if we see rubbish, if it's not us or if it's us, to pick us up, which I completely agree with because every um, bit of rubbish you release could like, kill a fish or a turtle. If you keep picking them up, then the population of fish and turtle will stay balanced. We are definitely going to have to help handle the uh, climate change by, like, cutting down on uses of fossil fuels. We're going to have to cut down those if we want to stop ice caps and glaciers from melting. But um, I think sea levels will be much higher in the future. But we will have ways of keeping them at bay, I'm sure, by then. Even just a big wall would help. It's funny to hear just how similar an experience to us, Arlo, a kid in New Zealand, is having. But given that we're globetrotting, it might be a good idea to check in with some people whose current environment is not quite the same as ours. Hi, I'm Saskia and I'm living in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. My name is Rani. I live in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia and I'm Saskia's daughter and I'm eight years old. So she has a bike and she cannot cycle it at the daytime because it's too warm. So she can only cycle in the morning or in the late afternoon, right? Yes. We have different rainy seasons now. We used to have regular rainy seasons, a small rainy season and a large rainy season. 
that now we also have rains in between the rainy seasons, which shouldn't happen. That is destroying harvest. This is really a direct uh, consequence of climate change. We know that. Of course, the locust is another big, big problem. The locust came crossing the Red Sea from Yemen. And normally they spray early these locusts so it doesn't come into East Africa. This year they couldn't because of the war in Yemen. And we were faced with a locust plague a couple of months ago that went all the way down to Tanzania. And it is coming back up now to Ethiopia again, up to Djibouti, uh, Somali region. So it's the eastern part of Ethiopia where there is a lot of uh, food storage. A locust looks like green, has four or six legs, can jump very far and can fly also a little bit. They eat uh, what they see, like the food of the cows and the harvest of the farms, like what the farmers planted. Yes, and they eat it and that's a big problem because then there's not enough food. So there are different things and the locust is eating everything and makes everything very dry. As a consequence, we will also have like other things happening. Uh, when you don't have a grass, you have more sand and dust. And there are, are different diseases coming up with that as well for a cattle. We've seen different emergencies coming more current. So we cannot say anymore it's recurrent. It is a continuous uh, disaster in certain areas. Uh, people that are drinking coffee in Europe, they don't know, but they drink a coffee from Ethiopia or there is coffee in it from Ethiopia. Of course, people in Europe don't really think about uh, reasons why people are refuging to Europe. Uh, they don't understand the context of Ethiopians, local people. I love Ethiopia very much because of its diversity. It has a lot to offer. People are very open and warm, uh, very welcoming, respectful. I like Ethiopia very much for its directness. It is what you give, that is what will be returned to you. That's really what's happening in Ethiopia. I like Ethiopia because there are people who are very kind and sometimes they're very silly because they do sometimes very funny and silly because they do those kinds of stuff. Also the culture, I like it. And the food that we eat, you don't eat it with a fork, a spoon or a knife. When we eat in Jera, we don't do that. We eat together. Yes, and we eat together from one big plate. That's why I like Ethiopia so much. So weird to realize that while so much of Saskia and Rani's current life is the same, it's also so very different. Like us, COVID-19 sees Ethiopia in lockdown. But instead of just feeling fed up of Netflix and slightly annoyed at their siblings, on top of the stay-at-home blues, they have to deal with the plague of locusts. Locusts are part of the African ecosystem. Farmers manage them for years in good and bad ways. But a changing environment has led to weather conditions that let the numbers grow out of control. It just shows how fragile a thing our environment can be. How small changes in temperature we in Ireland don't even feel have a far greater impact 
in other parts of the world. Anna Mogren, the educational specialist in the Swedish episode, said that one of the easiest steps we kids could take to learn better would be to make a friend in another country. So while you're stuck at home, why not try to do just that? From Fortnite to TikTok, the world has never been more connected. All the material gathered for this episode was collected using online communication. So have a go. Find a pen pal the same age as you in another country and let us know what you learn. So we've traveled the world in this episode. Ours is a planet of change and movement. And nowhere is this more apparent than in the skies. Let's check in with the birds. Hi, I'm Niall Hatch. I'm the Public Relations Branches and Development Officer with Birdwatch Ireland, which means that I look after lots of media things as well as membership and fundraising uh, and making sure that we have enough money to do the, the conservation work that we need to do. Earth Day on April 22nd, it's, it's a really important day in the calendar for us in Birdwatch Ireland and for many conservation organisations because it's really all about focusing on uh, the importance of our planet and our environment and our ecosystem. I think the really important message there is that we all have a really important role to play. It's not just something for scientists and for governments. It's for all of us as individual citizens here in Ireland and around the world uh, to, to take care of our planet and make sure that we're doing the right things. And I, really, I think that's the essential message of Earth Day. We humans sometimes think that we're different to nature, that it's something else, but we're as much a part of nature as all of the birds and the butterflies and the plants in your garden. Uh, and I think sometimes we can forget that. So I think Earth Day can be a very good reminder of that. I think we, we humans need that. April's a really exciting time for, for birds and for bird watching because this is when migration is really at its finest. So there are lots of birds both leaving Ireland to go and nest somewhere else and coming to Ireland to nest. Borders are really a, a human concept, something that we humans have kind of imposed on the world. Birds don't read maps. They don't know anything about the differences between different countries. So they, you know, to take Ireland, for example, they don't know any difference between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland, which is why it's so important that the laws that protect birds are as similar as possible across different countries. The only real reason that birds migrate, it's uh, people think it's sometimes because of the, the weather, and only, only indirectly, it's because of food. So if a bird has all the food it needs throughout the whole year here in Ireland, it doesn't need to leave. It'll stay here because migration is a dangerous thing. They use up lots of energy. There's a risk of meeting predators. So it's quite risky. Much better to stay put if they can. So take a bird like a blackbird, for example. We have blackbirds in Ireland all 12 months of the year. It's that, uh, that blackbird with the, with the yellow beak that hops around the garden. That's the male. The female is brown with a darker beak. And they find all the food they need. They eat worms, but then in the winter they can switch to eating berries. So they do find no need for them to migrate. If you're a bird like a swallow, on the other hand, the only thing that you eat are small flying insects. And here in the summer in Ireland, we have quite a few of those. There's lots of flies around, so they do quite well. But then when we move into the winter months, there's far less food around. So those birds have to leave. They head to where there's a second summer down in southern Africa. They spend the winter, well, our winter, and then in South Africa, where it's, it's the summer down there, and then they head back to us. And this is the time of year now in April when they're starting to arrive back to us, having spent having spent our winter down south. So the swallows never actually experience winter. They have two summers a year and no winters. So uh, let's take the departures first of all. So uh, at this time of year, we have the last of our, our geese and our wading birds leaving Ireland. They're going to head further north to places like Greenland and Iceland, Scandinavia, and, and even to Canada where they'll nest and then they'll return to us in the autumn. 
Then at the same time, you have lots of other birds coming up from Africa. So at the moment, many of them are flying up across uh, continental Europe. They're going to cross uh, into Ireland. We're talking about birds like swifts, swallows, cuckoos, birds like that. One of the easiest groups of birds to try and recognize when they're migrating are the geese because they fly in a V shape in the sky, they make a V formation with one bird in the front and then the other birds coming in the lines from leading behind its wings. But this time of year, and especially this year, because we're all spending so much time around our houses, uh, it's a good time to watch out for nesting in your garden and doing everything you can to make sure that the birds that are nesting around your home aren't disturbed, because that's the most important thing of all. They need lots of peace and quiet so that they can feed their chicks, because they get very stressed, especially the parent birds do, when, they, when there's people around or when they think that they might be in danger. Uh, it's a good idea if you have cats to try to keep the cats in at all, if, if at all possible, during uh, the next couple of weeks particularly, because it's the most vulnerable time for the, for the baby birds. When they leave the nest, they're, they're really quite clueless. They've never been in the world before. They don't know danger the way that the adult birds do. So that can make a big, big difference for them. Uh, you can put food out in the garden, although at this time of the year, it's not so important. There, there's usually a lot of natural food around and feeding birds in, in the winter is a more important thing. Planning ahead, though, is a great thing to do because most birds at this time of year need insects. So if you have plants in your garden that attract in insects, the native insects that the birds will feed on, that really helps establish a whole food chain in your garden. And it's probably a little too late in the year to do it, to do it now, but you can plan for next year. From the autumn time, you can put plants in your garden that will really attract those in. One of the things that I love to do, because I have blue tits nesting in my garden, they love to eat caterpillars. And my favorite thing to do is to plant cabbages, especially for them. And those white butterflies, the cabbage whites, come in and they lay their eggs on, on, on my cabbages. And then I just leave them there and then it makes lots of caterpillars and then the blue tits feed on those. So that's a tip for next year. If you have a nest box up in your garden, um, if it isn't uh, already being used by birds, quickly clean it out. Um, if there's already material in from previous year, they like a nice clean nest box. It's getting a little late though. They may have already started nesting. If they have, do leave it alone and, and try to resist the temptation to peek inside because that can be a problem for them as well. And also you can keep uh, an eye out uh, for some of the migrant birds that we were talking about uh, and help Burble Charlie with a really special project that we're doing at the moment. It's called Spring Alive. We're asking people to watch out for their first swallows, cuckoos, and swifts. It's what it's another word called a sand marten. It's a bit like a swallow. Uh, and then go to our the website. It's springalive.net. You can report them there. Now, if you're wondering what any of these birds look like or what they sound like, you'll find all sorts of clips and, 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 and video images and, and cartoons of them on there. Lots of information all about bird migration as well. And when you see or you hear your first one of the year, you go to springalive.net, let us know about it. And it's not just in Ireland this is happening. People in 40 countries across Africa, Europe and Central Asia are doing it. And so far here in Ireland, we're, we're, we have the most records of all of any country. So I'm really delighted about that. We've got to keep up the efforts. So all the records we can get, we, we can certainly use. Thanks, Niall. As he said, birds don't really recognise borders. Akiko spoke of how Earth looks from above, how borders don't exist. The ISS is evidence that humans from every country can work together to do really amazing things. This Earth Day, the world is united in the fight against COVID-19. It would be amazing if, by next April 22nd, we could come together to do the same against climate change. Wherever you're listening, I hope you are safe and well. Let's look out for each other and find connection in whatever way we can, even if it's from the comfort of our own homes. That's it from me. And until I see you all next time, stay safe. Evolution was produced by Nikki Coughlin for RTE Junior Radio.